And this is the Frankly Daniel Show. And of course, I am the Daniel and the Frankly part of this enterprise. And as you well know by now, it's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights. Now, whether you're new to the Frankly Daniel Show or a longtime listener, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Hello, hello, indeed. I've taken it you've already heard this. Kelly, the Pentagon's European command says the Russian airplanes targeted an unmanned American MQ-9 Reaper drone that was flying in international airspace over the Black Sea. The two Su-27 fighter jets conducted what the U.S. calls an unsafe and unprofessional intercept with the U.S. Air Force drone. They say one of the Russian jets struck the propeller of the U.S. drone, which uh, forced U.S. operators to bring the drone down in international waters in the Black Sea. Now, that came just after the Russian jets had dumped fuel on and flew in front of the drone in what the U.S. side calls a reckless, environmentally unsound manner. The American military says the incident demonstrates a lack of competence on the Russian side. And the United States also says Russian pilots have engaged in a pattern of dangerous actions over the Black Sea, which the Pentagon says are dangerous and could lead to miscalculation and unintended escalation. The MQ-9 drone is made by General Atomics, and it's mostly operated by the U.S. Air Force for long-endurance, high-altitude surveillance missions. The Pentagon says U.S. aircraft will continue to operate in international airspace. Now, remember... Well, by now, you most likely have seen the declassified aerial photos and video of the Russians pooping all over our drone. This drone, this is a very sophisticated drone, un- unmanned unarmed. This one had no armament on it. Of course, it had its transponder turned off. It was well above the Black Sea in international airspace over international waters. And what do we have to say about this? I mean, our generals came out. We haven't heard from the president yet on this, but we've heard from General Milley when he's not reading uh, critical race theory uh, books uh, put out by the left that this was an unsafe and unprofessional intercept. Well, what would have been a safer and professional intercept? I mean, what, what are the rules for that? You come up to it and, and what, you shout obscenities? I mean, what, what would be a professional? This was obviously unprovoked. This, this drone was unarmed. There's no way it could have provoked anybody. Its airspeed is 180 miles an hour. In fact, these jets nearly were... Uh, when they had to slow down to the speeds they had to, they could have reached a critical threshold and actually fall, fallen out of the sky. The engines flame out because that's not enough uh, speed for them. And this, like I said, was an international airspace. Now, we also know there was more than one Russian involved, and it was more than once they you know, flew past our, our drone. And then, of course, I've never heard this before. This is, this is really insulting. I think it was meant to be an insult. They, they dropped fuel. They dumped fuel out of their jets on this drone, supposedly to jam the cameras. But I, it obviously didn't jam the cameras. I think everybody knew that that, that clear liquid would, would evaporate immediately at that altitude. 
And this was really an insult that they were pooping on our drone. Now, our State Department said this was reckless and environmentally unsound. Uh, are there rules to do these intercepts in an environment, environmentally uh, sound and friendly way? I mean, it's the most stupid statement I've ever heard, environmentally unsound. And obviously, they were reckless and environmentally unsound. That's the toughest words you have. And then, of course, we know it struck the propeller, and the, uh, uh, the remote pilot had no choice but to force this drone to crash into the Black Sea. Now, yesterday, the generals came out and said, we don't have any worries. Uh, it's at four to 5,000 feet down to the bottom of the Black Sea where this drone crashed, and it's very hard for anyone to recover it at that. Well, as, as we now know, the Russians are capable of very deep sea recoveries, as we are ourselves. And just because it sank in 5,000 feet of water is really sort of meaningless. And he said, well, even if they recover it, it's probably damaged, uh, and they can't use anything out of it. Was that the same theory they operated under when uh, the balloon that they brought down in the sea crashed? I mean, we had everybody and their brother out there and their sisters and their cousins and everyone else looking for parts of this balloon because we felt we could learn something from it. So what a stupid statement. Of course, uh, the Russians are going to go recover it. And, you know, the other thing that's really crazy about this is that we don't have any assets. We have no ships in the Black Sea because when the Ukraine war started, Guess who pulled all our ships out of the Black Sea? And that's right, uh, Chief and Commander Biden. He pulled all. So we, we don't have any way to go after or protect uh, this asset, period. And um, you better believe the Russians are going to be able to learn a lot from this down drone. Now, our State Department goes on to say something so silly and obvious. All this could lead to miscalculation and unintended consequences. Well, just what might those be? You know, these drones are not cheap. I've heard a lot of quotes of cost on these drones. This model drone, without armaments, stripped down, okay, basically, just out there for reconnaissance, cost $32 million. $32 million. You know, we're sending all this ammunition and everything to Ukraine, which, by the way, the Ukrainians say they're running out of ammunition. Our stockpiles are seriously low, very much like our strategic petroleum reserve is to Biden drawn that way the hell down. Uh, we're near rock bottom in that. And now our armaments, we've got, we don't have enough armaments probably to fight a serious war ourselves because they're going to Ukraine. And uh, the, um, the whole thing is, is just, just ridiculous. No response whatsoever. Uh, I can tell you what my immediate and unvarnished reaction was. It is very similar to what you may have heard already. Senator Mike Rounds, a Republican from South Dakota, was asked on television right after this news broke. I'd just like to get your reaction to what happened today uh, in the Black Sea. Pissed off. I mean, let's just be honest about this for a second. The report coming out of our government is that this was an unprofessional act and environmentally unsound. I'm sorry, folks. They shot down a United States warplane. They took it out of action. And that's the response we get back. So, yeah, not very happy about it. Well, that was my reaction, but with 
more profanity when I first heard this report. This down drone highlights once again what a feckless wuss our commander-in-chief is. That would be Joe Biden, in case anyone has forgotten. Our foreign policy is in free fall. And, and in my unhumble opinion, we have never been so close to an all-out war than we are today. And we're likely to remain in this state of cliffhanging throughout the next two years. Now, beware of the presidential elections coming up. That's supposed to be a danger zone. We've had generals already warn us, one in the specific command fleet, by the way, who said that if China was going to swallow Taiwan, it most likely would be during our presidential election when we're very distracted and at the height of our political tricks and total distraction. Remember Afghanistan? We heard from a U.S. Marine sniper last week in testimony before a House committee that this Marine sniper had the bomber, the Afghan bomber, that toward the end of the whole stay there in Afghan, who killed 13 of our military, wounding 80 other, killing more than 200 Afghans. This sniper had the terrorist in his sights. They had intelligence on who this guy was. They were ready to take him out. But Biden had switched command from the military to the State Department, and the military could not authorize that takeout. And so people were looking everywhere for someone in the State Department who could give authorization to take this bomber out. Then they never got it, obviously. Remember, Biden watched as Putin aligned 185,000 Russian troops along the Ukrainian border. It took him six months to do that. And what did we do? We didn't even tough, tough talk. We, did, we didn't do anything. We just watched it and reported on it. And now we're in a proxy war with Russia or, and our so-called NATO allies. They haven't been contributing their fair share of funds and war materials to the Ukrainians to fight the Russians. No, we're fighting the Russians. It's our proxy war. It's not theirs. And this is something, as a student of history, I've never understood. We bailed the Europeans out of two world wars. And we had to fight the Japanese in the second one, which had really nothing to do with us or much to do with Europe. But we had to fight two wars simultaneously, and we won them. We shouldn't we shouldn't think anything of that going forward. That means nothing going forward in terms of, of war and one's uh, uh, chances to see their way through this. But once again, NATO, who should be really very concerned about the Russians, because Putin's already said that after Ukraine, he'll march into Poland. I've spent a lot of time in Poland with Project Hope in my younger days doing volunteer work and actually being an officer of the Project Hope organization. And the Poles really don't like the Russians. They really hate the Soviets and anyone who's got a Soviet attitude because Poland was so brutalized for decades under the Soviet regime. And they know what it's like to live under the Russian boot. And so they're very concerned. But 
We've got Germany hardly doing anything. We've got France doing not much of anything. Macron, you know, he juts around everywhere and talks to everybody as if he's some kind of reporter instead of a world leader. But so far, all these other countries, which their economies are every bit as large as ours combined, have given one-third of what we've already contributed. And what do we get out of our president? We're going to stay there as long as it takes. That's the most foolish thing I've ever heard. Is that what we heard when we were in Vietnam? During my younger days, I remember that war. Or in Afghanistan, or Iraq, or um, any of these other countries we've we've found ourselves into. Syria, no, no, we're we're not going to stay there as long as it takes. And the Europeans better wake up to this. Now, the people who have really woken up to this are Sweden and Finland. And Sweden has always been sort of a neutral country. They, you know, they want to make love. They don't want to make war. They rolled over when the, the Germans came in during the Second World War and went Nazi right away. Finland has always been a fighter. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand this, but during the Second World War, when Hitler invaded Poland, the Russians also invaded Poland from the other side, but the Russians also invaded Finland. And the Finns fought them off to a standstill. The, Russia, uh, the Germans also came in, and they had to deal with that. But there's some really different players when you come into what's going on. Finland, who's not even a NATO country, has contributed more than any other single country in the NATO pact to Ukraine to fight this war because they know the Russians. Now, Trump, tr- Trump wouldn't have put up with any of this. We probably wouldn't have been in a war, uh, but here we are. China threatens Taiwan. What are we going to do about it? There's nothing we can do about it. Just think about it. They decide to swallow it. What are we going to do, slap sanctions on them? Uh, The Europeans are going to slap sanctions on them, and then everyone's going to work around the sanctions. That's what's going on right now. And the worst of all things have happened. We have somehow been able to align Russia and China. The big warning that all our foreign policy experts have been concerned about for the last 50 years, since, since the Soviets took over. Never let the Russians combine with China in an allegiance, in any kind of axis. And who else has joined that axis? Iran. Really nice, uh, wonderful people there in Iran, you know, with the Ayatollah. They are really just days away from having enough fissile material to make a nuclear bomb. And we're all holding on to our seats as to what Israel is going to do about this because Israel already knows they cannot survive in the Middle East with a nuclear-armed Iran. Biden meets this week with the prime ministers of Australia and Great Britain, and he agrees to sell them nuclear-powered submarines. Oh, that is a wonderful gesture. And yes, we need to put more submarines out there because submarines are the most important asset we have in our our, our navies these days, not aircraft carriers or destroyers. Really, it's submarines because you, you have to find them, and they're far more stealthy than anything else we've got in the water. We don't have enough of them. This whole meeting was a bit of a joke in ways. It's really nice. It made some wonderful pictures, and they all smiled and got along with each other. You know, it takes us seven years to produce one nuclear-powered submarine. Seven years. Maybe you've seen the television commercials. They've got TV commercials now 
uh, submarine.com, there are employers now trying to recruit people to come on board to help them build submarines. You know how many submarines we're turning out per year? Take a guess. It's one and a half. One and a half subs a year. That's our output. Okay? It's sort of like our, us replenishing right now the arms we're all sending to Ukraine. One and a half subs a year. Now, what are we going to do? Uh, sell one and a half subs uh, to, to Britain and, and to Australia, and then the next one and a half subs we'll put in our Navy and... How's that going to work? As I've said, subs are our most important naval asset. Biden watches a Chinese spy balloon travel across the Pacific Ocean, across Alaska, through Canada, into Montana, then across America. And he finally gets the nerve to shoot it down over Myrtle Beach, or the waters of Myrtle Beach. Joe Biden was so spooked by this Chinese surveillance balloon that he went and shot down three other unidentified balloons, which we're never going to hear anything about. And that only cost us about $2 million in missiles and, and plane time to take out three hobby balloons, probably. Uh, that's how spooked our military is. What kind of confidence is, does that make anybody see? Don't you think the Russians and the Chinese and the Iran, that they're all watching this, this behavior too? And then, and then this buffoon... He's got the nerve to turn around and blame the whole incident on Trump because Trump somehow didn't see balloons that the intelligence agencies never saw themselves nuzzle up to the United States during the Trump administration. As I said, Iran's days away from having enough nuclear material to create a bomb. Now, Mexico continues to allow millions of migrants to flow through their country. They don't stop them. You know, the, the, the U.N. regulations say that if you are seeking asylum, you are to stop and dwell and, and, and seek asylum in the first democratic country you come to, the first stable country. That would be Mexico for many of these people. Mexico says, hey, hello, and just keep moving. We're not going to bother you, but just keep moving north. And, and, and it allows the Mexican cartels to rule the U.S.-Mexican border. We're not controlling it. We just had testimony in Congress yesterday down at the border where the border patrol agents and the head of the border patrol agents, who I'm sure is going to be in a world of trouble with the uh, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, he said, no, we have no operational control of the border. Sixty percent of the border we have no operational control of. 60% of the border. And then you've got the Mexican president, Lopez Obrador. He was a real joy this last week. He's, you know, in terms of fentanyl, he comes out with this statement and says, we do not produce fentanyl and we do not consume. We have no consumption of fentanyl. Why don't they, the United States, in other words, take care of their social decay? So he's lecturing us on our social decay. I think wokeism is social decay, but the fact that we've got a president that won't even stand up to the cartels, I mean, these are toy armies in many ways, very dangerous, don't get me wrong, but they don't have any F-16s and some of the bigger toys to play with, but they're jacking us around like they're the biggest bully on the border, and what do we do about it? Nothing. Hands off, go back, change diapers, you know, mix a baby formula, and just register these people and get them a plane ticket 
and let's get them spread out throughout the United States so no one can ever find them again. The Mexican president went on to recite a list of reasons why Americans might be turning to fentanyl, including single-parent families, parents who kick grown children out of their homes, and people who put elderly relatives in old-age homes and only visit them once a year. I think he's pretty much nailed on what our problems are here. He's quite a sociologist when you get down to it. We got kidnapped Americans in Mexico, okay? This is a whole new phenomena. Of course, it's getting a lot of attention, but not from our president. He hasn't said squat. But according to the Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, Mexico is a safer country than the United States. Now, given any given city he might name, I, I, I may agree with him. But there's a lot of dangerous cities in Mexico. But he came out and said Mexico is safer than the United States. There is no issue with traveling safely, safely through Mexico. Well, that's a, that's a crock of fentanyl if I've ever heard it. This is something U.S. citizens also know, he's, he goes on to say. Just like our fellow Mexicans that live in the U.S., the Mexicans who live in the U.S., they also know it's, Mexico is a safe country. Okay, the clock is ticking on this first half hour, and I want to get to some really important things. Have, have you been following any of the San Francisco City Council's hearings on reparations for African Americans? California was a slave-free state. California was admitted to the Union September 9, 1850 as a free state. California's Constitution does not allow and never did allow for slavery in any form. Mind you, this was 10 years prior to the Civil War when tempers were white hot and with anger over which states were going to be permitted into the Union as a slave state or not a slave state. And California came in as not a slave state. There were... When California was formed as a state, there were no black people in San Francisco. It's doubtful there was one black slave in California, period. Now, there were 107 proposals put forth yesterday in this uh, marathon session in front of the city council. The top four really caught my eye. The first one is... For reparations, black people in San Francisco are demanding a payment of $5 million to every eligible black adult. The second leading proposal was the elimination of personal debt and tax burdens. The third in line was a guaranteed annual income of at least $97 for the next 250 years. And the fourth leading uh, option was that you could get a home in San Francisco for just $1 per family. Now, it wasn't per individual, it was just per family, okay? But you had no taxes or other liens or anything else associated with it. It's just a, a give me. And, and, and uh, I'm going to play a few clips from that. You're going to be amazed. One thing that would stop our children from busting into these liquor stores and grocery stores, stealing junk food and, and stealing different things, and that's reparations. There's only one thing that would stop our kids from busting into these jewelry stores, stealing watches and jewelry, and that's reparations. 
Hoffman. I use she, her pronouns. And I am here as a strong supporter of my black siblings to demand reparations for black San Franciscans. The reason why I am a middle-class homeowner, the reason why I have a college degree, is because my great-grandfather was the beneficiary of the Homestead Act, through which he received 160 acres of stolen land. Cole Cunningham, I'm seat six on the reparations committee. I gave some examples of ways to find money, money, which is taxing everything, taxing cigarettes, marijuana, taxing PG&E, taxing every, I want, we need to find this money. It's not just for the $5 million, it's for all the things that we need, education, mental health, and everything. Put your money where your mouth is. I have one more clip to play from that meeting, and this is, a, one, this is from one of the county supervisors, a white woman, I might add. Here it is. You have uh, my 100% support and commitment uh, to implementing, quite frankly, all 111 of these recommendations. They are all warranted. I'm just so glad that we're having this open conversation right now in a safe space when we're fighting to implement these recommendations uh, that that you're here to witness who's, who's ready to throw down and actually, actually implement because uh, that's when the proof is in the pudding. Time is very, very, very tight and I want to get this one last clip in. You're going to love it. You can't believe it. Where has Joe Biden been and what has he been up to this last week? Solving any of these problems we're having with the Ukrainians or the Russians or the Chinese or no, no, Joe's doing interviews. Here's a clip of Joe doing an interview with a fellow named Cal Penn. You may have remembered him from the Obama days. He's on the daily show on comedy central. Joe took 30 minutes out of his four hour work day to do this interview. Here it comes. I can remember exactly where my uh, epiphany was. I hadn't thought much about it, to tell you uh -huh. the truth. And I was a, I was a senior in high school and I wanted to get a job being Turned out, the only turned out was the only Caucasian lifeguard in the projects in the city of Wilmington, the big swimming pools. And my dad was dropping me off to go in and get an application to City Hall in Wilmington, in Rodney Square, it's called. I remember about to get out of the car, and I looked to my right, and two well-dressed men in suits kissed each other. I mean, they gave each other a kiss, and then one went looked like he was heading to the Dupont Building, and one looked like he headed to the Hercules Corporation Building. And I'll never forget, I turned and looked at my dad. He said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. It's simple. No, I'm not joking. It's simple. They love each other. And it's never been, it's, it's, it's never been, it's just that simple. It was just this simple 65 years ago in Wilmington, Delaware. My guess is that the Irish Catholics, especially the men, were of the same opinion about same-sex marriage as the Polish Catholic males in Chicago, where most of my Polish ancestry is from, had the same opinion about gay marriage and men in suits kissing each other. How likely is that story? It is probably the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I lived in Boston for 16 years. There are plenty of Irish Catholic males in Boston. Pro-gay marriage 65 years ago? I don't think so. Let's take a quick break and go through our own epiphany. See you in minutes. Come right back, please. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. 
This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative thing. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Frankly Daniel Show. Now I have to tell you, I love everything about the America Out Loud radio network. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on it. I'm a lucky person to be on it. But I certainly hope you're taking advantage of the wide array of conservative voices on this network. This is a network built like I've never seen before. I've never experienced it. I've never even had the chance to participate in something this large and it's growing leaps and bounds. And it's got an immense listenership. And I hope that you're part of that. Now, I have to tell you also that I thank my lucky stars, and I do praise the Lord for putting my stars in the America Out Loud skyline. It really is an honor to be here. Now, today is my 10th show back after my surgery and radiation therapy for breast cancer. It was not a pleasant experience, and yes, men do get breast cancer. I know it's rare. It happens. But let me tell you how joyful I am to be alive and back speaking my mind on the Frankly Daniels Show. And I thank you so much for being here today with me. So here's how we're going to start the second part of today's show. I am going to spend some time, not much time, but some time being reflective. Are you ready? Here we go. Uh, uh, just, uh, just, I, 
I should read this, I guess, before I get started. Now, for the next several minutes, you're going to hear me speak as though I was reading from a manuscript. This is because I will be reading a, much of what follows from a manuscript. Now, why, you might ask, am I reading this stuff? Well, it's because I decided to break tradition and write the following words with the explicit purpose of doing just that, reading them. Now, I enjoy speaking off the cuff or extemporaneously, despite getting myself into some serious trouble sometimes. But I find that when you write your thoughts down, it, it makes you take an extra measure of thought not given to the spontaneously spoken word. So, here we go again. Are you ready? Here we go. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. You and I have gone through all of what Charles Dickens just said in his opening quote from his novel, A Tale of Two Cities, and we have gone through it in just the last six years. Call it, if you will, A Tale of Two Presidents. I am truly flummoxed each week I get ready for this broadcast. What am I going to talk about today? A day doesn't go by without me asking this question. In fact, Sometimes I think a waking hour doesn't go by without this question on my mind. Everything today is at the speed of digital. I have never lived in such times as these, nor most likely have you either. The speed of news and the plethora of serious topics each day approaches infinity and beyond. As many of you know, I'm 73 years old, and like any American aged 73 times by yearly accounting, I've seen a lot and lived through much of what I've seen. Never before has anyone who writes or talks for a living, or in my retired case because I feel compelled to, has anyone had such a rich array of subjects and lies to expose, and I am compelled to tell you that I cannot remember a more sweeping change in our national psyche than we've experienced in these past six years. Short of our initial American Revolution, and then again during our bloodiest of wars, the American Civil War, have Americans ever been so deeply divided? I awake each day and wonder if a near event will be the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back or the match that torches the pent-up malignant malice that floats freely in the ether of fear and anxiety. Do not take what I'm about to say as favoring any future political candidate for president. However, I can assure you that I have never voted for Joe Biden, nor will I ever, and I can't imagine, even in my worst delirium, voting for any of the current Democrat potential candidates. Now, that being said, yes, I thought that Donald Trump's presidency was pushing us back to the best of times and more. In so many ways, his first three years, and possibly all four, made me think it was the best of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the epic of belief. It was the season of light and the spring of hope. And amazement. Trump was all of this, especially compared to the Obama-Biden years of, 
apologies to the world for just being America. With Trump, we were back to making all Americans better off again. We were back to making America first again. No apologies. We were back to honoring our maker. We were back to asking God to bless America. We were forward-looking, and truly, it was the spring of hope. After four years of Jimmy Carter's malaise and devastating inflation, I became very involved in politics. Before that, not so much. Eight years of Ronald Reagan was exactly what America needed after Jimmy Carter. Nothing in my lifetime, perhaps nothing in yours, has come as close to recreating the optimism and can-do spirit of Reagan's America than what Donald Trump was trying to do as president. And while Reagan was often unfairly harassed by the hard left-leaning press, he was never as besieged as Trump was during his four years in office. Importantly, there was hardly the variety and scope of media during the Reagan presidency compared to what Trump has had to deal with. The truth is no person in American politics has ever been so viciously maligned and ceaselessly attacked by the left as Trump. The truth is no no person in American politics has done more to expose the far-left press and media for their duplicity, their practice of political assassination, and their endless lies about the most important things to Americans. God, family, flag, and the right to defend ourselves. Whether whether you find Donald Trump's personality off-putting or find his perpetual orange skin coloring comical, the facts about his four years as president in so many ways were the best of times, the age of wisdom, the epic of belief in the season of light, and most certainly the spring of hope. Especially in contrast, as I've already said, to the prior eight years of the Obama-Biden administration's preparatory castration of America the free, America the brave, America the bold. Well, okay, I think I should pause here and ask you how I'm doing so far. I'm not trying to take myself too seriously, am I? Well, let's let's continue on. Let's see how it goes. I do have to share with you that I, I'm a little depressed that our media has convinced so many of us that Donald Trump is damaged goods, that his personality is malignant, and that he could never make a good president again, and may, he may not have made a good president, and that's why things turned so badly against him. And yes, I believe the election was stolen. I think it was stolen from us more than it was stolen from Donald Trump. But it was stolen, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But too many of us are saying to ourselves and to others, well, I would vote for Trump again, but I I don't think anybody else would. I don't think the independents would. I certainly don't think the Democrats would. Why should we think what other people think are really important to us? If we like those principles, shouldn't we uphold them and vote for them and elect the person that can carry those forward? No, I'm not saying that's Trump going forward. There's going to be other candidates in the race, and some of them are very good. And I live in a state that I love living in because I've got a governor that I love, that he loves who we are. And that state is Florida. And no, I didn't write that last several lines there. That just was ad lib, okay? 
but I'm going to get back to the, to the writing part here. But do you think for a second that if Ron DeSantis becomes the candidate, the Republican candidate for president, that the press is going to be any nicer to him than they've been to Donald Trump? Let's face it, the left really, really doesn't like us. It's not a difference of opinion. It's a difference about everything. Under Donald Trump, once again, the individual American was championed and stood in contrast to the progressive's vision of America as a land of self-interested groups with little or no loyalty to our Constitution or to our forefathers' founding principles based on God-given natural rights. Frankly, the left sees America as nothing more than those self-interested groups of skin coloring and sexual orientations, all devoted to woke ideologies in support of neo-Marxist principles. So what happened to our American prosperity, to our spirit, to our tolerance for each other's opinions? So how did the best of times, the age of wisdom, the epic of belief, the season of light, and the spring of hope all become the past tense. Well, it's really all quite simple. If you do not believe in meritocracy, where the best candidate wins, then cheating is an acceptable way to steal an election and install a false prophet. And yes, I did say false prophet. Is today's Joe Biden the Joe Biden you were sold in 2020? Joe Biden the sensible, Joe Biden the moderate, Joe Biden the conciliator? No, no, he's not. None of these are Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a spent old man, growing feeble, often brain-addled, frequently mean-spirited, and increasingly dictatorial. And yet he is the champion of the socialist and the neo-Marxist among those who still call themselves Democrats. Yes, the so-called progressives charading as Democrats stole the 2020 election, as well as many Senate and House congressional seats from liberty-loving Americans. So how did they pull off this biggest train robbery of all time? Well, first, they used the unscrupulous yet dominant mainstream media platforms to sway the masses with false information and lies about not only who Trump was, but all the bad things Trump would do to America if we stayed with Trump for another four years. Basically, they told us we would all be dead from COVID if we didn't change presidents. Here's an audio clip of Joe Biden during the second debate in October of 2020 with President Trump. This was his statement about COVID. 220,000 Americans dead. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, Hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially, anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. We're in a situation where there are a thousand deaths a day now, a thousand deaths a day, and there are over 70,000 new cases per day. Compared to what's going on in Europe, as the New England Medical Journal said, they're starting from a very low rate. We're starting from a very high rate. The expectation is we'll have another 200,000 Americans dead between now and the end of the year. 
If we just wore these masks, the president's own advisors have told him, we could save 100,000 lives. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. I would make sure we move in the direction of rapid testing, investing in rapid testing. I would make sure that we set up national standards as to how to open up schools and open up businesses so they can be safe and give them the wherewithal, the financial resources to be able to do that. We're in a situation now where the New England Medical Journal, one of the serious, most serious journals in the, in the whole world, said for the first time ever that this, the way this president has responded to this crisis has been absolutely tragic. And so, folks, I will take care of this. I will end this. I will make sure we have a plan. Finally, we're coming to understand that Americans could not have made a worse choice for president in 2020 than Joe Biden. Why? Well, in addition to all the other bad things happening under Joe Biden's pathetic, inept, and Marxist policies that we're all experiencing today, America got stuck with Dr. Anthony Fauci for another two years. And believe me, two more years of Dr. Anthony Fauci was a poison we all could have done without. Approximately 400,000 Americans died of COVID-19 under Donald Trump's watch. That was approximately 13 months. As of May 12, 2022, the best information I can find, over 1 million Americans had died of COVID-19 under Joe Biden's presidency. Approximately 17 months, four months longer than Trump was watching it. Oh, I know it got started slower under Trump's watch, and it was pretty much geared up by the time Biden got it. But still, the overwhelming statistics of a million dead Americans makes what Joe Biden said during that debate just absolutely disgusting. You have to remember, Trump had vaccines available for only the final 45 days of his presidency. By contrast, Joe Biden had an abundance of vaccines, vaccine boosters, at-home testing, an array of therapeutics throughout his entire presidency to attack covid when you compare the two presidents, it's impossible to believe that Trump, had he won a second term as president, that he could have done worse than Joe Biden has with COVID. And once COVID got here, as I've said before, however it got here, everything thereafter we did to ourselves, one of the worst things was electing Joe Biden. Or should I say we allowed others in our various government and non-governmental institutions to do it to us. How'd you like Joe Biden's COVID management plan? Did you lose your job because you refused to take the vaccine? So many bad things that didn't need to happen. And I have so little time to tell, to tell about all. Well, this seems an appropriate place to let you know that I've pretty much finished with what I had written. And from here out, I'm just winging it. So please stay with me, okay? And we continue to let Joe Biden and his woke administration perpetually lie to us. Well, let me ask you this. Have you heard the following aphorism, or as some would say, a proverb? A lie told once remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. This seeming truism was said, of course, by Joseph Goebbels, who was Germany's chief Nazi propagandist throughout Hitler's reign of terror, in the 1930s and 40s. Much like the Democrat-inspired proverb, 
Never let a serious crisis go to waste. A lie told once remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. Is the modus operandi or the MO of the Democrat Party, and most certainly that of the dominant leftist press and media. It would not surprise me to find this pithy quote painted in giant font on the ceiling of the White House press offices. Most assuredly, Biden's language-challenged inept press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, has memorized this maxim. It is probably the only thing she can recite from memory with not having to look it up in the official White House binder she carries around. Oh, yes, indeed. A lie told once remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. I wouldn't be surprised either if Jill Biden repeats this line to her dearly wedded old man early every evening at 6 p.m. just before Joe goes to bed for the night. Perhaps she whispers the line. After all, Joe's taken quite a fancy to whispering. A lie told once remains a lie. But alas, back to the election of 2020. You know, falsely electing Joe Biden president was perhaps the worst thing we did to promote our own suffering from COVID. And, and here's a critical point. When America falsely elected Joe Biden, um, Americans had also really elected Dr. Anthony Fauci to be their primary care physician for all things COVID for the next two years. Did you realize that when you elected Biden? Fauci came with him. And oh my, the things that Dr. Anthony Fauci and Biden, they got wrong. I do thank the Lord that I live in Florida. See if you can guess who's talking in this next audio clip. That lockdowns would stop the spread. Spin different narratives and... Corporate America largely bought those hook, line, and sinker. Um, you know, they were they said that lockdowns would stop the spread. That it was false. They said mat cloth masks would stop the spread. That was false. They said school closures were somehow no big deal that kids wouldn't miss a beat, uh, and they were wrong about that. They said mnra vaccines would mean you would not get COVID if you took the shot. They were wrong about that. They denied the existence of things like natural immunity for people that had recovered from COVID. They were wrong about that. And they lampooned and ridiculed anybody who said that this, uh, this COVID came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And they were wrong about that because we know it did come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So when you have narratives and a current thing that's always put out there, and then you have all these powerful corporations adopting that and then imposing that. You know, in some respects, they're exercising public power. Uh, they're exercising power over our society by colluding uh, to, to enforce that current thing. Perhaps you have come to the conclusion that Ron DeSantis should have been elected president in 2020. I probably would have voted for that. But yes, as you probably have guessed by now, I did vote for President Trump. You may remember that Trump refused to wear a face mask, especially after recovering from COVID-19, the original alpha version of COVID-19. Here's an audio clip of President Trump's rather sorry CDC director, Dr. Robert Redfield, testifying before a Senate hearing back in 2020. But I am gonna comment as the CDC director that uh, 
face masks, these face masks are the most important, powerful public health tool we have. And I will continue to appeal for all Americans, all individuals in our country, to embrace these face coverings. I've said it, if we did it for six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, we'd bring this pandemic uh, under control. These actually, we have clear scientific evidence, they work and they are our best defense. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID than when I take a COVID vaccine because the immunogenicity may be 70%. And if I don't get an immune response, the vaccine's not gonna protect me. This face mask will. Well, it turns out that Trump was 99.99% right about masks and just about everything else having to do with COVID. Given our knowledge about the disease at the time Trump was president. Oh, come on already. A simple surgical face mask more powerful than a vaccine? Really? Do you believe that? The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? This last clip, of course, was of Dr. Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins Medical School and the School of Public Health. The definitive study that he was talking about was a meta-analysis of 65 of the top studies across the globe on the effectiveness of masks to protect against COVID. Their conclusion? The effect of masks was unmeasurable. In other words, they couldn't find any difference between mask wearers and those who went maskless. Trump was also right about the origins of COVID-19. Trump's problem is that he refused to lie for political points or the expedience about COVID-19. Trump spent hours in front of the public trying to keep Americans updated about the pandemic. But he, he got ridiculed for things he said all the time. And you could always see Dr. Anthony Fauci rolling his eyes in the background. Perhaps Trump should have acted as Joe Biden does. Joe Biden comes out every other week. He reads an update off the teleprompter. He turns around and walks behind closed doors, not stopping to answer any reporter's questions. Heck, even today, Biden pops out of the White House office as if he's a cuckoo bird in the cuckoo clock, and he reads his teleprompter assignment, and then, and then like all dutiful cuckoo birds, he turns around and scurries back into the clock. Yes, Trump may have been too optimistic, perhaps, about COVID ending in mid-2020. But he wanted to get us back to work and life as usual in this unusual pandemic. He hated the idea of 15 days to flatten the curve. Never his idea. It was Dr. Deborah Burks's very bad idea. And then Dr. Anthony Fauci doubled down and extended the flattening for another 15 days. Oh, yes, Trump was high on therapeutics and early intervention for COVID. Dr. Anthony Fauci was not. Dr. Anthony Fauci to this day, will not acknowledge that early intervention in a physician's office could have ended COVID for millions of Americans. Yes, Trump initiated the Warp Speed Vaccine Development Program, but he never put all his faith in this singular approach. Dr. Anthony Fauci and Joe Biden did. 
and they did unforgivable harm to millions of Americans. Dr. Fauci, Dr. Deborah Birx, Dr. Robert Redfield, and Dr. Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General, were four of the worst so-called public health advisors any president could have at their side in this pandemic. The sands of time are screaming through my hourglass, and I know I've got about 60 seconds to say I'll pick it right back up next week, or I'm leaving it off today. I've marked a spot in my brain. Think about it. We have a presidential election coming up. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. What will it be? A spring of hope or a winter of despair? I'm Daniel Francis Baranowski, and you've been listening to The Frankly Daniel Show. Thank you, my friends, for lending me your ears this past hour. Please remember that the lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. This quote is from Longfellow's A Psalm of Life. Well, I'm out of time. May I say God bless you and keep you in his eye. Please think seriously about who we're going to elect to be our next president. Until next week, stay safe and keep your loved ones close. Thank you.